Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. Good dental health is important to our overall well-being, but it can be difficult to maintain the proper dental practices. A healthy mouth for a healthy life. Tonight on Call with the Prairie Doc. Good evening and welcome to On Call with the Prairie Doc. It's more than just a winning smile. Good dental health is key to our overall well-being. But first, a look at this week's Prairie Doc quiz question. When did the first dentists begin practicing? A, 1892, B, 1620, C, 26,000 BC, or D, 1427? Viewers who call in the correct answer will be entered into a drawing to win a copy of the book, The Picture of Health. Each of Dr. Holmes' essays, originally written for On Call with the Prairie Doc, comes with a wonderful accompanying photograph by Dr. Judith Peterson. We will announce the answer and the winner at the end of the show. Remember, you only have 10 minutes to get your answer in. We answer your questions about dental health as they are called in or sent to us via Facebook or email. Call in questions to 1-888-376-6225 or send us an email to the address on the screen. And joining us tonight in the studio is Dr. Brent J. Henriksen with River Ridge Oral and Maxillofacial Surgical Center in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And remotely via Zoom is Dr. Michelle Hofer of Missouri River Dentistry, Fort Pierre, South Dakota. Welcome. It's so good to have you guys. Thank you so much for taking time out of your evenings to join us and, and help our audience understand a little bit more about how to keep their mouths healthy. So um, I'd like to start with you, Michelle. Could you give us a little bit of information about your background and your practice? Sure. Um, I actually grew up in Brandon, so I'm a local girl to South Dakota. And after graduating there, I went on to uh, Vermilion, where I was uh, pre-med initially, not sure what I wanted to do, and actually changed my route while I was in college. And then after that, graduated, went on to Indiana University School of Dentistry in Indianapolis. And when I graduated, I did a startup. So I'm located in Fort Pier. I bought a lot, built a building. Um, my dad helped me with the plans for the building and uh, we built a practice. So, and I've been here since 2006. Wow, that was quite an adventure right out of dental school. <laughs> yeah, it was, but it was exciting, it was fun. I just knew I really wanted to um, open my own office and so the startup was the right option for me and that was part of why I chose dentistry instead of medical. I wanted to work for myself and have the flexibility to have flexible hours. Um, I like coaching sports for my kids now and so that was part of um, future planning in advance was I, I wanted to have some of that 
free time to do that kind of stuff. So, excellent. And and Brett, I'd like to hear a little about your background, and then I want to go into the scope of practice of oral maxillofacial surgery because I think most people in the world and in America are fairly familiar with what a dentist does, a general dentist does. But your specialty is a little less familiar to most people. So I know you've brought some slides to help help us visualize that. And I'll warn people again, but uh, those slides can be a, a little graphic. So um, I want to give people a chance to know what they're going to see. But first, tell us about your background. Yeah, well, thanks. And, and thanks for having me on the show. And it's nice to be here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Michelle Hofer. Um, we have. Uh, uh, some competing airtime tonight with the uh, presidential Trump, President Trump, and vice former Vice President Biden, and so yeah, that was kind of interesting. And so uh, we hope Trump's ratings, you know, stay stay good. So, but <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, again, Brent Henriksen. I currently I'm at River Ridge Oral and Facial Surgery in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, we uh, I grew up in Arlington, just 20 miles west of here and went to Augustana College and then to dental school in, uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. And then my residency and medical school uh, training was in Omaha, Nebraska. And so I've um, been practicing in Sioux Falls for about 11 years. Um, oral surgery is really a small specialty. And, and like you said, a lot of people really don't maybe know exactly what we do. Some people call us the wisdom tooth doctors or dental implant doctors and we certainly do a lot of that but we do other things too and so um, I, I did bring some some slides and some some photographs some pre-op and post-op pictures to kind of demonstrate and show um, everyone kind of um, the scope yeah. of practice. Excellent and I think we have the first one up and uh, this one isn't too disturbing but some of the, the subsequent ones I'll warn our viewers again can get a little bloody so just be prepared for that. Yeah, right. So this, this first one um, is a corrective facial surgical procedure. It was a, um, a late teenage girl, and you can see the preoperative photograph with, with severe facial asymmetry um, to the patient's right. You can see the man mandible uh, and chin off to the right side and, and prognathic uh, profile. And, and then afterward, you know, we did a uh, Lafort osteotomy, a maxillary um, a small maxillary advancement and leveling and then a mandibular asymmetric setback um, and chin surgery and so you can see the um, hardware and bone plates and screws in the uh, post-operative photographs and you can see the the facial and chin midline um, um, coincident now with kind of the facial midline so so basically what what you did there was remove some bone uh, build up a little bit more in other areas and just kind of recreate that symmetry that that young woman didn't have naturally so uh, certainly a beautiful young lady there yeah yeah thank you I think she had a nice result and and you're exactly right so it helps her functional and uh, cosmetically as well right. for facial profile. And I, I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize that this really, you know, certainly there's a cosmetic advantage to this, but there's a lot of issues that can be caused by uh, that asymmetry in terms of the teeth closing properly, eating, chewing, talking, um, way beyond the cosmetic effects. So this is really an important 
thing to have for people to have access to. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and, and with both speech and mastication and eating and things like that and all the function and TMJ problems it can develop. Um, so it's a it's a, a nice procedure. Yeah, it's very valuable. Let's see what your next yeah, slide is yeah. there. So this is just briefly, I was going to discuss how technology has helped us practice. And, and before procedures, when we do facial corrective surgery, we often do CT scans. And we go through a biomedical engineer. And um, we uh, um, create surgical guides and splints really online, if you will, after CT uh, guidance and things. And so that, this has helped change the way we practice in a more efficient and uh, more detailed way. A lot more so, precise. Yeah. And one thing that surprised me was how just you think about a CAT scan and you think about this great big machine that they have to lie down in and, and kind of close, but the machine you use is is small and very fast. Yep, it, yep. it's it's upright machine and, and, and it's very quickly and really gets um, um, sub-millimeter detail. And so it's, it's very detailed and Dr. Hofer's familiar with with iCATS and cone beam CT scanning technology, and they, we use it in, in dentistry and other applications as well. It allows so, a lot of precision. Yeah. It's fabulous. Yep. Yeah. Let's take a look at our next slide. So, cleft lip and palate patients, this is a, they undergo you know, many procedures, and um, it takes a multidisciplinary team. Um, oral surgeons come into play uh, commonly during the secondary bone grafting when they're approximately 10 years old or so. And, um, and we generally do iliac crest or hip graft uh, harvesting and um, graft it to the, the bony defect to provide nasal support and continuity of the, of, of the maxilla. And so this is just an example. You can go ahead and go on to the next slide and I'll show you. Um, this one's a little bloody. Yeah, a, a little, an action photograph. And so this was a recent patient that I had, maybe not the best photographs, but um, uh, of, uh, again, a different technology. We use a bone morphogenic protein, and that's a new chemical that helps recruit osteoblasts. And osteoblasts are the bone-forming cells, and so it helps um, with the bone grafting. And sometimes you don't have to do the iliac crest harvesting, and you can use um, cadaveric bone grafting and um, you don't have that donor site morbidity that, that some patients have. And so um, that's that, that just another example of, a, of a, a part of the practice that we, what we do. Yeah, and that's a, a really important thing because again, we're restoring function for people with cleft. So that's a wonderful technology, wonderful thing. And I think, is there just one more slide? Yeah, I think there's maybe a couple oh, more. Oh, no, two just more, we'll br okay. Briefly. Uh, just a, this is just an action photograph of a TMJ surgery or, or temporomandibular joint surgery. This is a arthroplasty um, with removal of the disc. That's the patient's left side. Uh, um, you can see the ear there, and so that was just another example. Um, you can go ahead and move on to the next slide if you want there. And dental implant placement. Um, Dental implants have been along for a, around for a long time, but what it's become more and more common is to do full mouth reconstructive surgery where you extract, maybe the, the patient has a full mouth of non-restorable <coughs> uh, dentition, and you can place multiple implants and to support uh, a, a fixed prosthesis, and so they develop that function and form and cosmetics um, like that. So that's become more popular, and that's a, a big part of our practice as well. So, 
I think, is there one more slide? Yeah, or? there's yeah, there's either one or two. This is okay. a post-operative view oh, of the okay. dental implant patient showing the, the smile and, and, and teeth kind of uh, up close there, if you will. And so um, this is really, these types of prostheses act like normal, normal teeth, normal teeth in, in function and form, so. Okay. And yeah, this is the last slide. Um, again, this is a, a facial trauma surgery that, that I did and a pre and post operative photograph of a pediatric patient, uh, ATV accident. And so you could see the severe nasal bone displacement to the left, uh, orbital fracture on the patient's right and ethmoid fractures. And so we did open reduction, internal fixation and, uh, and then the final result. And that we do in a hospital setting. Um, many of our procedures are in clinical uh, at our surgical center at River Ridge, um, but procedures like that and, and the corrective facial mm -hmm. surgeries we do in hospital settings. And as, as a physician, I look at that and I say, that's not that poor child's only injury. Right. <laughs> that's, that's something that's a pretty major uh, procedure and probably associated with a lot of other injuries too. Yeah. So yep. quite a so broad scope of practice. It is. And a yep. Lot of, yep. And so there's yeah. a lot of different things. We love taking our the wisdom teeth out and doing dental implants, but there's other things that we're trained to do as well. And so sometimes the general public doesn't know about yeah. some of those types of procedures. And and what a kind of obvious connection to my type of medicine uh, that you have there. And one thing that I was thinking about as you were showing those slides and showing the dental implants that could be a substitute for dentures. And Dr. Hofer, if I could get you to, uh, to maybe speak a little bit about why someone might prefer uh, a full mouthful of implants as opposed to living with dentures. Yeah, uh, definitely. I have patients that have both. Um, usually the ones with the implants are much happier with the result. We do our best with what we call conventional dentures, but if they can attach to implants, they don't move. Like the conventional dentures will slide sometimes, especially, you know, some patients had teeth extracted in their 20s because they just had a mouthful of problems and they've been in dentures for 50, 60 years. And when that happens, the bone, it, it has some technical terms, but basically it shrinks. And as you lose bone, there's less to hold your denture in. So by doing the implants, that helps maintain the bone and helps give it support. Um, so yeah, sometimes patients in their 80s and 90s don't have much bone left and then their dentures don't stay put. Where when we do the ones with implants, I've had patients where we do, we call it kind of like an all on four, is kind of what similar to what he was showing you there. And that is all fixed. It functions like teeth. Um, they love it. Patients love that. So yeah, mm -hmm. definitely there is a big difference in um, what I see as a benefit to a patient. You know, sometimes patients say, well, it's a lot more expensive, but the benefit is you get something that is like having real teeth again. And what is the relative cost difference between a mouthful of implants and dentures? You know, dentures, it, it always depends on the office. I can give you kind of rough costs. Um, a denture is roughly 2,000 for each arch. So 4,000 if you're having dentures. And if you need the extractions, obviously that's an additional cost. But, um, you know, to do like something where it's four implants and a denture on top of it, um, if you were gonna do that both arches, yeah, you're probably looking at $50,000 in that realm somewhere. 50 to 60. So. And does insurance help cover that if you have dental insurance? Well, I always tell people insurance in the dental world is much different than insurance in the medical world. 
Um, usually they have a maximum of like 1500 some people are lucky they have 2000 so it's not where you pay an out of pocket and then you have more it is where basically they cover 2000 and after that it's all your responsibility now often with the implants um i do it oftentimes so if someone's just having one implant put in then when we restore it um we do try to split calendar years for people if we can because that helps them but in a case like that where you're going to spend thousands of dollars it's not really a great benefit. Have, I call it a dental benefit, not insurance, not insurance for that reason. Financial concerns shouldn't prevent someone from receiving important dental care. Here in South Dakota, we have programs to help when it is needed. You know, there's a variety of things out there program-wise, and it's everything from, you know, government-funded programs to private and nonprofit-funded programs. So. The obvious and big one is uh, is Medicaid, but that's really uh, primarily for children. Within our foundation, we have what's called the Donated Dental Services Program. Basically, what we do is bring together uh, individuals who need care, and they have to qualify. They have to be seniors or have a disability or have some kind of medical necessity that qualifies them for the program. But we can run them through kind of the application process, and then if they qualify, we match them up with one of our member dentists who's participating in the program. The dentist provides the care for free, and we have a, a series of dental labs who provide the prosthetic devices for free. So like a, a denture or a bridge or a crown, uh, either free or in some cases we have to cost share with the lab depending on what the nature of that prosthetic is, et cetera. Um, so that, you know, that program has been very popular. Um, you know, we've been, again, we've been at it since 1998. Um, we probably can help uh, 100 and, between 150 and 175 patients a year uh, with that program. You know, the DDS program may be one, and that, again, is through our foundation. A couple, you know, a couple of the other options that are out there for people that they could consider are we have pretty widely now distributed across the state of South Dakota. We have community health centers that have dental clinics within them. Those are really, you know, high quality public health services. I think undoubtedly that is the, the largest way that reduced cost dental care or free dental care is provided. You know, a, a dental office is a little bit unique in that. I mean, as a healthcare provider, um, they're not necessarily out there promoting themselves as giving care away, right? I mean, we need paying patients to pay the bills and the overhead and all that kind of thing. Um, but absolutely, if there are patients out there who uh, who need the care, um, if they if you have a dentist, obviously go to that dentist first and explain your situation and let them know that you're, you know, you're having a difficult time financially and would like to, you know, see if there's a way that they could help. What an absolutely fantastic program. And Dr. Hofer, I understand that, that you're part of that program. Uh, yes. Actually, I was talking to one of the people that was getting me set up um, with the web and the Zoom, and she and I were discussing it, and I've had quite a few patients. I try to take usually at least a couple a year, um, and um, it's been really rewarding. The patients really appreciate it, they need it, and a lot of the patients, like you said, are either elderly or they have medical condition that qualifies them for this. And then financially, if they don't have dental insurance, 
They might have Medicare, but that doesn't have dental. This is a great option for them so that they can um, get dental care. It's a wonderful program. I have some amazing patients that I still see for checkups, cleanings, and that kind of stuff after having their dental work done. And I've, I have one patient in particular that was just the sweetest guy. He brought us flowers after we finished his work. And I mean, he was so appreciative. So it's really rewarding. So I always tell dentists, if you haven't signed up to do this, I think it's an amazing program and it really helps people. A lot of people, as you know, um, have medical conditions. Well, your dental health can really impact your medical health as well. So it's very important that if you have a dental problem that you get it taken care of, especially if you're medically compromised. Agreed. I, you know, the things we've been talking about, I think, have really resonated with people. There's a, a viewer from Rapid City who emailed in this observation. I am an advocate for preventative medicine. During my nursing career, I always carry dental insurance. I feel dental insurance is woefully inadequate as the insurance often caps out around $1,500, just like you were saying. My question is, why does health insurance and Medicare as well not cover oral care? I think that's an absolutely fantastic question. And my response as a physician is write your senators. Right. <laughs> I think it's, it's a huge issue and I think it's a very artificial distinction that we make between medical and dental care. Any any yeah, comments? I would, I would totally agree with you. And as an oral and maxillofacial surgeon, we kind of bridge dentistry and medicine. And we have patients that come in with severe dental infections that, that cause uh, potentially life-threatening um, with submandibular space and lateral pharyngeal space infections. Throat, throat infections. Thro throat, exactly. Yeah. And so neck and deep, deep space, fascial space infections. And so these types of things... To, to consider dental insurance instead of medical insurance, or maybe medical insurance doesn't cover something like that. Sometimes we write letters and do appeal letters to try to get that to, to, um, uh, to happen, but it, some, we run into difficult problems sometimes. And the other thing is um, um, the hospitals have fees and, and many of these patients have to go to the hospital and, and remain intubated in the ICU and everything. And so um, while we do, uh, in our practice, we do a lot of medical insurance claims and things that are there still sometimes where it's hard to, um, hard to, to get it through. Yeah. I think it's it's important to point out, and I just, I'm really wishing that my old partner, Dr. Robert Reitz, who is an ENT doctor, uh, was here because he had quite a thing for medical history, and there have been many famous figures in, in history who have died as a result of dental and those pharyngeal space, those mouth infections. So right. it is really an important uh, a part of health care. So. Uh, here's another question related to insurance coverage. If free dental care was provided for all, how would this affect the status of health in the U.S.? Dr. Hofer? Um, I do believe that if that was possible, that we could offer that. I do think health in general would be better for everyone. I've had plenty of patients tell me after we do some extractions or procedures where they've had severe infection that 
you know, they didn't realize that how they were feeling in their sinuses and the rest of their face was all related to, and headaches, you know, can be related to having dental infections that were there long-term. They didn't realize that was the trigger for a lot of the other things that was going on as well. And I'm sure you see the complications uh, greatly of the effect that poor dental care has on people's health. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and even um, going through the COVID mitigation process that we had and, and people weren't um, able or the access to care was difficult because of, of shutdowns and things like that, we saw um, more and more people with severe uh, dental infections causing, you know, creating hospitalizations and major surgery. And so even just a short period of time, you know, six to eight weeks of a slowdown in the, the dental field made a big impact on, on, on a lot of people's lives, you know, so. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is not just true for dental care, but I think if we had better access to health care, that would be an improvement too. But I think, again, that artificial distinction between dental and medical care, it, it makes it a lot worse in, in your field. Uh, we've got a question or a comment not about uh, the financial aspects here, but another person from Facebook asks, should breastfed babies be on fluoride drops? And I think that's probably far more in your wheelhouse, Michelle, than it is in Brent's. Um, yeah, and actually, I do know a lot of pediatricians that recommend fluoride drops. Um, yes, because most people who are mixing formula hopefully are using like the tap water that has the fluoride in it. If you're using a bottled water and it doesn't have fluoride, then your child also is not getting fluoride. Um, but yes, and or if kids live on well water, currently we're in the transition at my house, my children take like a fluoride tablet because we drink well water. So I supplement just a little bit for them throughout their childhood as well. But definitely, I think the fluoride drops are excellent because when you ingest fluoride, that's when it's going into your system to help formation of teeth as well, so they stay healthy. Yeah. Now the topical fluoride that we place, that is more once the teeth are in, obviously, because that's just getting placed directly on the teeth, but that's an excellent question, yes. Yeah, I, would agree. I agree. Fluoride. I think that's an important thing. Uh, it's also worth considering getting your well water tested uh, to see how yes. much fluoride there is in it because it is possible like many good things to get too much fluoride and that can impact your teeth too. Yes, so I did do that test at my house so that I could figure out what we needed here. Perfect, perfect. So ask your dentist locally people if uh, where you can get your your well water tested. So here's another viewer who asks are water picks helpful in dental care? Do you have a, a observation on that, Brent? Yeah, and maybe this is better for Dr. Hofer yeah, as well, probably. too. But yeah, I mean, hygiene is certainly important. And I know around dental implants that we place, hygiene is extremely important. And some people think that once a dental implant is placed, you can just kind of do whatever you want. And that's not the case. And so, um, but yeah, Dr. Hofer can maybe speak about the hygiene. What, what, what do you think about dental picks or about water picks as opposed to traditional brushing and flossing? Um, Traditional brushing and flossing is still very important. The water picks are a good supplement to aiding in hygiene. The main patients of mine that those benefit, I find, are the ones in braces. They really like them because it's a lot harder to floss. Now, flossing is still doable. It's just a lot more complicated when you have braces. So, you know, if there's a, a patient that says, 
I am not going to floss. I'm just not going to do it. Then definitely I would substitute a water pick. But preferably, I would say use both. So, Okay. So the, the take-home message is that water picks have a role, but traditional brushing and flossing is probably your, your better bet if all else yes. being equal. Yes. Okay. My son chews tobacco. Please talk about chewing tobacco and what that can do to the mouth. Also, please provide one good resource I can use to help convince my son to quit. And I imagine you both see a lot of complications of uh, chewing tobacco, um, but I would bet that Brent sees more of the severe complications, the oropharyngeal cancers. Am I correct on that? Yeah, that'd probably be, be correct. Um, what we've seen is um, with chewing tobacco, you get uh, a, a leukoedema, which, which means a, a changing in the gum tissue um, over time. Um, it's, it's pretty rare to, to develop into an invasive carcinoma uh, with chewing tobacco. It's actually more common with smoking um, and, and other habits. If there's ever ulcerations and er, what we call erythroleukoplakia, we'll perform a small incisional biopsy um, if we have to. Um, and so, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Do you have anything to add there, Dr. Hofer? Um, no, but I do think that there is a misconception that because you don't use chewing tobacco or smoke that you can't get oral cancer because that mm -hmm. still is possible. So yes. that's the one thing I'm sure Brent has seen that before. I've had a couple patients where um, they've told me I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't use tobacco, and I've had to send them in for biopsies and to be treated for it. So, Yeah, yeah. and if, if I may inter interject, um, the what we found with research here recently is the human papillomavirus is a is a, um, a perhaps a, a bigger trigger uh, for oral pharyngeal cancers than 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 maybe anything else. And so we do HPV testing, and the vaccine is starting to become more and more mm -hmm. popular and common. And, and there's further research on that as well. And so um, that's that's another avenue um, in oral cancer that we're we're starting to study more. And that I've been a big proponent of that vaccine since it came out, and I was I was just going to bring up the the role of the HPV virus. I think from my perspective, you know, chewing tobacco also contributes to other cancers, and that's a really compelling reason not mm -hmm. to do that. Uh, do either of you have any great resources to help motivate people to quit with chewing tobacco? I would say one really great resource for a lot of information is the dental associations. They have a lot of, I know pamphlets aren't, pamphlets aren't that interesting, but that's what I keep in my office. So like if we see certain things with certain patients, we have some information to give on each different kind of thing that we might be seeing in someone's mouth. Um, the internet is a great source. You may get misinformation, but it's a good way to show pictures to a child or a teenager or family member to, I, I know this, the scare factor can sometimes help, you know, to kind of show them what can happen. And like you guys were saying, it can be esophageal cancer, it could be stomach cancer, it could be other things that are affected, especially because if they're swallowing when they're chewing, that's going into their system as well. Absolutely. A good fitting set of dentures is important to the life of the dentures and your comfort in using them. 
The biggest problem that elderly patients have with dentures is instability. So usually with those type of problems, the first thing that we do is check the fit of the denture, make sure that everything is touching where it's supposed to, it's not touching early. We check the bite, and if all those things are doing well, usually my first step is to ask about the use of any adhesives. Um, whether it's gel or powder. Probably the best thing for instability in dentures is having a little bit of retention that actually is into the bone. So dental implants provide that um, for people and oftentimes the lower dentures, the number one complaint and even as little as two dental implants in the lower can provide a lot of that retention so that the denture doesn't pop up, it's not coming loose when they're talking, it's staying in place when they're eating. That would definitely be the number one thing that helps with stability. Dentures to fit well is a very involved process and like anything that's done well it takes time um, usually involves multiple impressions and sometimes as many as five to six appointments just to get the right fit of a denture but a denture has to fit really well from the beginning for it to fit well in the future so dentures in the Brookings area usually range between about $1,500 and $2,500 per arch or top and bottom. So that's somewhere in the $3,000 to $5,000 for just the permanent dentures. That doesn't include extraction of teeth or the healing dentures. Um, Healing dentures tend to be more in the $500 to $1,000 range for a top or for a bottom. In general, a pair of dentures tends to last about 3 to 10 years. So I've seen dentures in my clinic here that I've, were made 45, 50 years ago, and they're still doing really, really well. Um, dentures are very prone to breaking, falling off a top shelf. Um, and dogs and cats really like them and so unfortunately we see dentures sometimes on the younger side of needing to be replaced because they had some type of accident. Are dentures more common now or less common now than they were 10 years ago, would you say, Dr. Hofer? I think, you know, the way that we're doing them is different. So like more people are doing, he was showing you the locators, which is to just have two implants. And when you have those two, you can snap it on. And that is, we were talking price range, that's much less expensive than doing, you know, four or five implants and making it a fixed where, you're still gonna take that denture out at night and then put it back in. Um, but as far as how common they are, you know, I think people are doing much better at maintaining their teeth um, and being 
aware of the importance of preventative care. So I think, yes, I think they are less common now. Um, you know, so like I have patients in their 80s and 90s still have all their teeth and that's wonderful. I love seeing that. Absolutely. So one question I had thinking about using the implants as a locator, do you see that people are able to maintain more of their alveolar ridge then, more bone tissue if there's those two implants, even if it's not a full mouth of implants? Um, you know, yes, that does maintain more bone. And I'm sure Brent is probably more the expert on that side of things with it. But yeah, visually, when you see patients back, that helps maintain the bone around the implants, you won't lose the bone in that area as fast. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely what happens when people lose their teeth is the bone atrophies. When you don't have um, dental implants or any stimulus to, to maintain uh, bone, there's, there's uh, natural atrophy. And so that's one, one of the main reasons to, to place implants as well, to, to main, maintain that structure. And we see that in my field of medicine too, because people who aren't active are more likely to have osteoporosis and that regular weight-bearing exercise for the rest of your bones is important too. So assuming that my dentures don't get eaten by my dog or otherwise destroyed, can I adapt those dentures? If I have traditional dentures, can, can those same appliances be used with an implant? Is it possible to, to save a little money that way maybe? Sometimes you can retrofit the dentures um, to accept uh, dental implants if you're doing a locator type attachment, but that depends on the, the, the circumstance and, and, and anatomy. Okay. So I, we've gotten some great questions and I know we're running a little short on time here. So um, during COVID, have more people complained of dental pain due to stress and if so, what's causing this? I'm betting that most of the dental pain comes to you first, Dr. Hofer. Yeah, I do think some of the dental pain that people have is stress-induced because when you have more stress, you clench your teeth, you grind your teeth, and so many people will say, well, I don't do that, but you don't know what you're doing in your sleep is the problem. So, and that can trigger a lot of dental problems. You can cause fractures of the teeth, you can cause um, trauma to the tooth, and yeah, it can cause headaches. Um, I have patients who wear guards mainly because they get headaches if they don't wear a guard at night. So yes, I would say it has Absolutely. been more noticeable with a lot of patients who have more stress in their life at this time. We have a woman from Sioux Falls who would like to know what all is involved in getting a molar implant. So yeah, I, I could take this question. So um, <laughs> seems like a natural thing. Yeah, right, right. So. It depends on if she has her molar or not yet, depending on if we have to do the extraction. Um, however, if, even if we have to do the extraction, oftentimes we can place the dental implant at the same time as the extraction, um, even in molars. Um, historically, we've done, we used to do that more for the anterior teeth, but molars being a posterior tooth, now with, with bone grafting and, and um, um, new techniques, we can place the implant at the same time often. Usually the implant has to integrate for about three months um, prior to the restoration and, and, and the, by the restoration I mean placing the crown on it and that's what Dr. Hofer would do and she does a great job with, with things like that. And so um, it would be about a, a placement of the implant and a three month wait and um, there you go, get your tooth. 
What are veneers and what are the pros and the cons? Dr. Hofer? Yes, so veneers are different than a crown because a veneer is typically done on front teeth. If you're needing coverage on a back tooth, it's usually because it was broken or had a root canal and has damage. A veneer is more for aesthetics, so how your front teeth look. And they just cover the very front. They don't cover the back. They just cover up over the edge. Um, and it allows patients who have a little bit, maybe misalignment or a little gap somewhere, we can close the gap or um, just change. Some people have staining, like if they have tetracycline staining in their teeth and they don't like the color of them, that's another reason that they're done. So the main difference is, is what they cover, how much of the tooth they cover, um, and the reasons that we do them. And location, obviously. We don't do veneers on back teeth. We just do them on the front teeth. And usually just the upper six is where you would put veneers. Can they go over crowns, veneers? So a veneer is something completely separate. It actually means when we prepare the tooth, we're only gonna remove a thin layer of the tooth so if you had a crown, the crown would serve that purpose. So often front teeth, um, sometimes let's say someone had a trauma to a tooth on their front tooth, that one would probably get crown and the ones next to it, if it was just for aesthetic purposes, would get the veneers. Okay. Is sugar or acid more harmful to your teeth? Dr. Hofer, I'm gonna put you on the spot again. I would say, both are damaging. The sugar is what is your, anything that's a carbohydrate, it qualifies as a sugar. So breads are a sugar. Um, but the sugars sitting on the teeth um, is what can be damaging long-term. And then the bacteria produce acids, which then damage the teeth. Now, so people think of soda as both. Obviously it's got sugar and it's acidic. Um, the acidity isn't great for the teeth either, but the combination of the two is what makes it so severe. Okay. Um, someone from Sioux Falls suffers from trigeminal neuralgia. They are managing it with gabapentin and had a nerve cut by an oral surgeon. They are now facing the possibility of a tooth implant on the side of neuralgia. Is it possible that this procedure will aggravate their condition? I'm going to give that one to you. Yeah, that's an that's a, certainly an in, interesting case, and um, extemporaneously here um, thinking about it, um, that that certainly I've seen um, neurectomies performed with people that, with trigeminal neuralgia. Just to essentially what that is 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 cutting or excising the nerve that's causing the pain. Um, Sometimes that, that doesn't work because trigeminal neuralgia comes from a cranial nerve that's mm -hmm. closer to the brainstem, right? And so um, this would be more of an atypical neuralgia that this patient is referring to. Um, usually, uh, if it's an atypical neuralgia and the success of the neurectomy, if the, if the nerve is excised or, or cut, um, you could do an implant as long as the bone anatomy is good and, and, and things like that. And so. Um, I would probably be willing to do the dental implant, but it's, but it, it's a certainly a case-by-case -case basis. What is a saliva bump in the mouth? Dr. Hofer? What did you say? A saliva? A saliva bump. Bump? Okay, well, actually, Brent's probably more an expert on this than me, but a saliva bump, they might be referring to the gland, 
or a bump in the glands could be uh, what we call a salivary stone or, so I'm not sure if they're saying like where they feel where the salivary gland exits is what they're asking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure either. So I would think maybe a mucus seal or yeah, that's some what I was other clogged thinking. gland that's not, usually salivary stones, if they're gonna cause much, will, will cause some discomfort or the swelling will be when they eat. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what that question's referring to. I'd, I'd turf that and say, ask your dentist. <laughs> uh, working with geriatric patients, it is a common concern with weight loss that dentures don't fit. Does this happen with implants? So after weight loss? The well, geriatric patients, when they lose weight, one of the concerns we always have is the fit of their dentures. Yeah, so that'd be a, a, a indication to do implants because the implant and it's it's more the the weight loss and things is more likely atrophy of the of the underlying bone um, and some of the soft tissue kind of around it may may impact the fit of the denture as well. But the implants would help support that denture, and so that would be a, a high indication for for placement for of the placement. implants. A woman from Rapid City has had to have flipper teeth on both the top and bottom of her mouth, but says she does not have a good bone structure. She's wondering about the opinions on flipper teeth. Do you, what's your thought, Michelle? Um, the flipper teeth that she's referring to is like a temporary partial, and that's kind of our slang term for it. Um, so those aren't intended to be like a long-term fix. They're just meant to get you by until you either do an implant or a permanent partial or a bridge or something to replace them more long-term. Okay. So a good um, temporary solution, but not a, not a great long-term solution. I, I want to have, we, we're just about out of time, but I thought this was an important comment from a Facebook viewer. We had an employee who was having problems with his teeth and the dentist recognized the problem as stomach cancer, and it saved his life. So thank you for what you do. I think that's just a really important thing for people to recognize that um, dental professionals often are the ones that detect a problem. Um, so. I'd like a one-sentence takeaway. What do you want people to go home with? Michelle? I think from my end, um, preventative care is number one. Going in for regular checkups and cleanings, just like you would go to your physician. Um, you know, and some people come to us and not their physician, and some people come to the physician and not us. Yes. But knowing that both things are very important, um, that's what I would recommend. If you can Brett, do the preventative stuff, you don't usually have as much work. Brett. I think, I think like anxiety and stress of, of oral surgery is um, with IV anesthesia and different techniques and surgical procedures, um, it's really much less and, and minimally invasive um, than people think. Better, better living through chemistry. And now for the answer to tonight's Prairie Doc quiz question, when did the first dentists begin practicing? 1892, 1620, 2600 BC, 1427. And the answer is C.
According to the American Dental Association, records suggest the presence of oral health specialists in Egypt in approximately 2600 BCE. Between 500 BCE and 300 BCE in Greece, philosopher Aristotle and physician Hippocrates wrote about various aspects of oral health, including tooth decay, gum disease, and tooth extraction. And the winner of tonight's quiz is Marge Kleinjohn from Arlington, South Dakota. Thank you, Marge, for participating. A book will be in the mail soon. And we'll be right back after this. For nearly two decades, the Prairie Doc organization has endeavored to enhance health and diminish suffering by providing useful information based on honest science in a respectful and compassionate manner. Health professionals volunteer to answer your questions each week, creating a vast Prairie Doc library of medical information available to you and your family 24 hours a day. Make sure you don't miss a thing. Follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. I remember feeling jealous of my grandparents as a child. During one of our summer visits, I realized that while my siblings and I were told to brush our teeth, my grandparents would simply pop their teeth out and drop them into a glass. That seemed like a lot less work. Besides, I thought that no teeth would mean no trips to the dentist and thus no poking and prodding of sharp instruments in my mouth. Although our dentist and his team were unfailingly gentle and caring, I was always nervous. As I recall, when I expressed my newfound enthusiasm for the convenience of false teeth, Grandma informed me that wearing dentures would mean giving up fresh corn on the cob, and that was all the incentive I needed. I kept brushing. Soon, I realized that a healthy smile meant something more than the ability to enjoy garden bounty. I sensed my tough-as-nails mother and grandmother each were ashamed of their smiles. Without understanding why, I could see that people were judged by the condition of their teeth. Dental health seemed to be an indication of a person's place in society. With the benefit of age and medical training, I learned that the impact of dental disease goes well beyond dietary inconvenience and social embarrassment. People with unhealthy mouths may suffer from malnutrition, which can be both a cause and an effect of their dental problems. Others may unfairly perceive them as less trustworthy and less employable. Emergency rooms and medical clinics see the consequences of delayed or absent dental care. Patients seek antibiotics and pain medicines to get them by until they can see a dentist. These treatments may convert a raging infection into a smoldering, if temporarily bearable, one. However, they don't fix the underlying problems. There is another layer to the interplay between dental and physical health. Many medical diseases and their treatments may cause or worsen dental problems. The antidepressant I give a patient might cause dry mouth, which worsens tooth decay. 
The medicine to prevent a broken hip may severely damage the bone of the jaw. Diabetes increases the risk for dental disease, which in turn can worsen a person's diabetes management. Additionally, research shows that poor dental health increases our risk for heart attacks and could possibly lead to premature births. All in all, there are myriad reasons to take care of our teeth and gums, no matter our age. So thanks, Grandma, for convincing an impatient child to keep brushing. big thank you to our guests, Michelle and Brent, for a great show tonight. If you would like more information about this program or to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube or visit us at prairiedoc.org. And be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever you get your podcasts. Traditionally, the flu season in South Dakota peaks during February, so now is the time to prepare your immune system by getting the flu shot. Either disease is dangerous, having both could be catastrophic. That does it for tonight. From all of us here on call with the Prairie Doc, until next time, stay healthy out there, people. According to the late actress Sophie Tucker, the secret to longevity is to keep breathing. Our precious lungs, next time on Call with the Prairie Doc. We all want people to have the ability to make appropriate decisions about their health care. To do so, they need access to information from reliable sources, like our Prairie Docs and their guests. Hello, I'm Stephanie Herseth-Sandlin, and I serve on the Volunteer Board of Directors for the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 organization established by Rick and Joni Holm. The foundation accepts gifts from those of you who wish to support Dr. Holm's legacy and continue this mission, which is so very important to rural residents and communities across South Dakota and in neighboring states. Please consider a personal and corporate gift. Go to prairiedoc.org to make a donation today. Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Doc has been provided by Avera is a proud sponsor of On Call with the Prairie Doc on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, Fishback Financial Corporation, South Dakota Foundation for Medical Care, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison Flandreau District Medical Society, Sioux Falls District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Aberdeen District Medical Society, Urology Specialists, Orthopedic Institute, Physicians Care Sanford Clinic Community Service Committee, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, 
Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftel Communications.